Blessed be God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And blessed be his kingdom, now and forever. Amen. Let us pray together, Almighty God. To you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. I invite you to remain standing for our song of praise. Holy is the Lord, God.
Let us pray. Let your continual mercy, O Lord, cleanse and defend your church. And because it cannot continue in safety without your help, protect and govern it always by your goodness. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. I invite you to be seated for the reading of Scripture. Please join me in reading from Psalm 8. We will read responsibly from the bulletin. O Lord, our Governor, how excellent is your name in all the world. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and infants, you have ordained strength because of your enemies, that you might still the enemy and the avenger. We consider your heavens, even the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained. What is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you visit him? You made him little lower than the angels to crown him with glory and honor. You made him to have dominion over the works of your hands, and you have put all things in subjection under his feet, all sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, and whatsoever walks through the paths of the seas. O Lord, our governor, how excellent is your name in all the world. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it is in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Please stand for the reading of the Gospel. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Mark. Glory to you, Lord Christ. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Let us pray. Father, we believe that you inspired your servant David to record these words in Psalm 8. We believe these words not only had power in the day that David wrote them, but that these words have power today because these words are inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so we pray, come Holy Spirit, open this word for us perhaps as never before that we would be changed more and more to be like Christ for the sake of the world. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to be seated. 
Where do you look to find your value? Where do you look to find your value? A number of years ago, when I was still ministering in Ottawa, Canada, the capital city, I had a pastoral relationship develop with a senior political leader in the country. He was attending my church, and he had it all together. He was young, good-looking, bright, incredible power in his job, affluence, beautiful wife and family, and he was suffering the most extensive existential crisis I have ever seen. And so we would meet for sushi once a month. And about six months into this, as we kept sort of going around and around the same issues, I finally pushed a little bit harder than I normally would over sushi with him. And I just said this. I said, you're never going to find peace. You're never going to find a sense of true contentment in the gospel. until so you can imagine with me for a moment that if in this very moment, from this moment on to the end of your life, Everything went wrong from here on in. You lost all the money, all the status, all the power, even your own abilities, and yes, even your family. You'll never find peace unless you're able to imagine all of that tragedy falling upon your head, a Job-like experience, and at the end of your life, lying on your deathbed, still be able to say that my life has value. And I'll never forget, he put his chopsticks down on the table and said, I think we've had our last meeting. And I thought, oh no, I, I pushed too hard, too fast. Didn't hear from him for months. And then he reached out to me eventually and said, I need you to know that that conversation was the moment when God finally got through my armor and I'm turning my life around with his help. See, we have to struggle with the question where we look for our value. What determines that a life has value? What determines that your life has value? The world will tell you it's your affluence and it's your ability and it's your achievement and it's your acquaintances. But King David, the greatest king of Israel, a man full of wisdom and courage and a whole lot of very big human failings would say, no, you find your value by looking up. You find your value as you look up into the heavens because your value is not determined on the sum total of your successes and failures. Your value has been written by the creator in the heavens. See, David says this in Psalm 8. If you look with me in your bulletin, this psalm, which is according to our new prayer books setting, it's slightly different than the ESV that I normally preach from, but this comes out of what we call the new Coverdale Psalter that's in our prayer book. You know, the psalms have to be set for music and for public recitation. And here's the great thing about the new Coverdale Psalter in our prayer book is that T.S. Eliot and C.S. Lewis contributed to it. So it's a pretty magnificent work of literature. And in this psalm, David is describing the experience of looking out into God's creation and in that finding his value and worth. You see, what David is telling us in Psalm 8, if you hold on to it with me, is that as we look up, 
and consider the vastness of the creator. And then consider the visitation that that same creator has brought to us, himself coming in person into creation. The vastness of God and the visitation of God, that when we consider those things together, David is telling us, you and I find our value. See, first we need to recognize that as we look up what David is saying, as we look up and we consider the vastness of God, the vastness of God. Verse three, when I consider your heavens, even the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, which means set in place, all of this cosmos set in place from God, that we can have no other response than to say, my goodness, Wow, look at the size and the vastness of this. And I would argue that even the most hardened atheist is confronted as he looks at creation with a sense of his creator. Listen to these words from the late Richard Dawkins, one of the most aggressive atheists in the last few years. He writes this, he says, I think that when you consider the beauty of the world, and you wonder how it came to be what it is, you are naturally overwhelmed with a feeling of awe, a feeling of admiration, and you almost feel a desire to worship something. Now, interesting, why did Dawkins spend his entire life railing against belief in God, trying to convince us that we do not need to believe in God? Because as a scientist... As he engaged with the cosmos every day, he felt the presence of that God that had set it in motion. That's what drove him to such an aggressive atheism because he had such a real sense of that awe. The same awe that Carl Sagan says puts tingles into us as we consider the scope of this creation. Again, another non-believer who senses the creator. I've never been good with science. Maybe you have. I've just never been good at science and math and any of those things. I remember making my uh, homeroom teacher laugh in 11th grade when I said I might be a civil engineer. I mean, I've never heard a teacher actually laugh out loud at a student. And I read it a few years ago, uh, an article. It's actually an older article from 1974 from a couple um, astrophysicists that tried to describe the, the size of the universe known at the time. And, and, and they, then they updated those numbers more recently with the Im imaging from the Hubble telescope, just to get a sense of like, how big are we talking about when we say the universe, the cosmos? And so they scale it this way, is that if you were to imagine the distance between us and the sun, which is 91 million miles, and you instead scaled that down to a single sheet of paper, the thickness of a sheet of paper. 91 million miles is now scaled to a single sheet of paper. That if you were to then go to the next closest star, Alpha Centauri, you're going to have to have a stack of paper that is 71 miles high. If you're next going to look at the diameter of the Milky Way, you need a stack of paper that is 310 miles high. High. If you want to look to the distance to Andromeda Galaxy, which is the furthest thing we can see with the naked eye, we're looking at six 
thousand miles high stack of paper. And if you want to get to the edge of the known universe, you need a stack of paper that is 31 million miles high. That is the size of the universe. And David says God made it with his fingertips. He doesn't say he made it with his arms of his strength or even his hands. He says with your fingers, the works of your fingers, which of course suddenly talk about the scale, talks about the scale of the creator over this vast creation. But doesn't it also describe the artistry? That if you're talking about fingers, you're talking about an elegant work of an artisan carefully pulling this together. That's why we often turn to poets to help us describe this experience of the grandeur and vastness where the poet and priest Gerard Manley Hopkins says the world is charged with the grandeur of God. Hebrews chapter one says that God upholds all of this by the word of his power. The implication, of course, we need to grapple with, if, if this is true, if the creation is so vast and the creator who therefore put this creation into being, fashioned it with his fingers, is so much more vast, then here's one of the implications. You and I cannot invite that God into our lives and expect to do it on our own terms. You and I can't invite that God into our lives and say, you can come and be my assistant. You can come and be my consultant. You can be like an app on my iPhone that I'll use when it feels appropriate and ignore all those notifications when I don't think it's necessary. This God comes into our lives and all we can do is surrender to the vastness of who he is. It makes me think of, I think the best example of this is, of course, from the Chronicles of Narnia, that in the silver chair, Jill, who was a new visitor, first time to Narnia, this, this magical kingdom where Aslan the lion is the Jesus figure. And if you needed me to explain that, then shame on you, go read some Narnia. But Jill's arriving for the first time in Narnia and and she's dying of thirst. And she finds a, as C.S. Lewis says, a deliciously babbling stream, but a giant lion is lying between her and the stream. And the dialogue goes like this. Are you not thirsty? Said the lion. I'm dying of thirst, said Jill. Then drink, said the lion. May I, could I, would you mind going away while I do? Jill said. The lion answered this only by a look and a very low growl. And Jill, as she gazed at his motionless bulk, realized that she might have well have asked the whole mountain to move aside for her convenience. The delicious Rippling noise of the stream was driving her nearly frantic. Will you promise not to, to do anything to me if I come? Said Jill. I make no promise, said the lion. 
Jill was so thirsty now that without noticing it, she had come a step nearer. Do you eat girls? She said, I have swallowed up girls and boys, women and men, kings and emperors, cities and realms, said the lion. It didn't say this as if it were boasting or as if it were sorry, nor as if it was angry. It just said it. I daren't come and drink, said Jill. Then you will die of thirst, said the lion. Oh dear, said Jill, coming another step nearer. I I suppose I must go and look for another stream then. There is no other stream, said the lion. Elsewhere in the Psalms, David says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament proclaims his handiwork. Look up and consider the vastness of God. But then David says, consider the visitation of God, the nearness of God, the closeness of this God. Verse 4, oh, these words, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you visit him? What is man? What is mankind and humankind in comparison with such a vast creator? And here on the one hand, what David is saying, in fact, is God is mindful of us, For good reason, because David is a good student of Torah. He's thinking right back to the beginning. He's thinking to Genesis 1, where we're taught that God decided to make humanity, male and female, in his own image. In the image of God, he created us. And then he gave us dominion over the creation. He told us to multiply and fulfill it and subdue it. See, what David understands is that God chooses to value us right in the creation story. He makes us, these tiny creatures in the face of a vast God, to bear his image, to bear something like him in this world. And and we desperately need to hear what David's saying here because in our world today, there's so much discussion about human dignity and value and who has value and do all people have value. And and the difficulty we've got to recognize from just a basic sociological, philosophical point of view is we better have a reason why we say yes to that. Because here's the answer. The answer is not utilitarian. The answer is not you have value because you do something good for me or you do something good for the community or that by whatever standards we set, we can decide who has value and who doesn't have value, who has dignity and who doesn't have dignity. Right? The Judeo-Christian understanding of the dignity of every human being is rooted in the imago Dei, in the image of God. We have dignity, every single one of us, because we're made in the image of God. White, black, disabled, fully abled, rich, poor, in the womb, out of the womb, Republican, Democrat, all have value and dignity because we're made in the image of God. And this world continues 
to forget that. We don't decide what human beings have dignity. We have dignity written into our very DNA because the vast God formed us in his own image, the pinnacle. And that's why he says, David in five, six, seven, and eight of these verses, uses all this language that only could describe God. He crowns us. He gives us glory, honor, dominion because we are made in his image. But here's the gospel. As, as, as incredible and profound as that is, David only knew half of it. See, when David says, what is man that you're mindful of him? He's thinking in terms of Genesis 1. You were made in the image of God. But David being a prophet, David writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, not even perhaps fully understanding the full implication of what he said, uses a very key word in the next line. Not only does he say, what is man that you're mindful of him? But then he says, the son of man that you care for him. That's what the ESV says, care for him. But it's not the word care. In the Hebrew, which is reflected in the New Coverdale version and in the King James Bible, the word means to go out and search for, to hunt down and seek, to move towards. The word literally means visits. What is man that you're mindful of him, the son of man that you visit? him. David writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit was speaking of nothing other than that moment, 800, a thousand years later, when God, this vast creator, would become incarnate in the womb of a virgin. Then the words of Zechariah, John the Baptist's father, speaking of the immensity of that moment says in the Benedictus in Luke chapter one, hear the language, blessed be the Lord God of Israel for he has visited and redeemed his people. The words of John chapter one, verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. The God who is so vast became so small and weak into his own creation in order that we who were weak would be made strong. That's what visitation means. When we look to the heavens, we consider the vastness of God and then consider his visitation. Why would he do this? Why possibly would this vast God come into his creation? Why would he do this? I think the answer is probably best found in looking at the life of Dorothy Sayers. Dorothy Sayers, some of you know, was a great mystery writer. She was one of the first women to graduate from Oxford University. And she self-described herself, this is important, self-described herself as not particularly attractive. She famously wrote the Lord Peter Whimsey detective series. 
And as people began to love the Lord Peter Wimsey detective series and more volumes came out along the way, a new character was written into the story. A, a woman named Harriet Vane, who, the character, Harriet Vane, was a mystery writer who had graduated from Oxford University as a woman and was not particularly attractive. She and Lord Peter Wimsey meet. They fall in love and they're married. And scholars have said that what's going on here is the story of an author, Dorothy Sayers, who looked into the world she had created, looked at the man she had created and loved him and saw that he was lonely and in need. And so she, the author, wrote herself into his story. See, suddenly we understand the heart of this vast God when the angel says to Joseph in Matthew chapter 1 announcing the birth of Jesus, and behold, the virgin shall give birth to a son and they shall call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's what David means by he cares for us. He visits us. Suddenly, we understand how we can, as 1 Peter 5 says, cast all our anxieties on him because he cares for us. We look up at the vastness of God and then we look at the visitation of God and we find our value. Do you know what I love about Psalm 8? It's also where it's set in the book of Psalms in the Psalter. It's the first psalm of praise in, in the whole book. After a couple introductory psalms, Psalms 3 through 7 are very miserable, full of lament, longing for God to act. And then everything that follows from Psalm 9 and a ways beyond is again lamentation and need. It's set, this psalm of praise is set in the midst of real pain and agony. And yet it's placed here, I think, to declare that our value is not, again, found in our circumstances. Our value is not found in the kind of week we've had or the kind of month we've had, or for most of us, the number of the amount of the kind of six months we've had. Our value is found as we look up and behold the vastness of this God who's visited us. That is where we find our value. I admit I'm a bit of a wreck today. Our eldest daughter on Tuesday is flying overseas to begin college. So we're at home and we're packing and we're proud and we're busy planning Zoom calls and all week long I'm thinking, how am I gonna preach this weekend? 
And, I, and Psalm 8 was chosen a ways back before I knew that the UK government was going to open the border for her to come in. But as I looked at Psalm 8 and I looked at what David is trying to teach us, I said, this, this is, this is the word. Not just for you, not just for my daughter as she is about to go out into the world, but for me as well. Where do you look to find your value? Perhaps this is the lesson behind all the lessons. Where do you look to find your value? The world says, look at your appearance, look at your affluence, Look at your abilities and your achievements and your acquaintances. But David, that great king full of wisdom and full of his own vices, says, no, you find your value when you look up. Consider the vastness of God and then consider the visitation of that same God for you, to rescue you and me and you will know regardless of your circumstances regardless of the moment you're facing even in the face of losing it all you will know your value what is man that you're mindful of him the son of man that you visit him this is the gospel. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I invite you to stand as we confess what we believe about this God in the Nicene Creed. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is visible and invisible. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven, was incarnate from the Holy Spirit, and the Virgin Mary, and was made man. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day he rose again, in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father, who with the Father and the Son is worshiped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Please kneel for a time of prayer.
Let us pray for the church and for the world, saying, hear our prayer. For the peace of the whole world and for the well-being and unity of the people of God, Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. For Foley, our Archbishop, Todd, our Bishop, Paul, our Rector and Dean, and for all the clergy and people of our diocese and congregation, Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. For all who proclaim the gospel at home and abroad, remembering especially our missionary partners in Rwanda, Archbishop Laurent, his clergy, congregations, and preschools, Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. For our brothers and sisters in Christ who are persecuted for their faith, Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. For our nation, for those in authority, and for all in public service, Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. For all those who are in trouble, sorrow, need, sickness, or any other adversity, Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. For all those who have departed this life in the certain hope of the resurrection, in thanksgiving, let us pray. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Let us humbly confess our sins to Almighty God. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. By what we have done and by what we have left undone, we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ. Have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, who in his great mercy has promised forgiveness of sins to all those who sincerely repent and with true faith turn unto him, have mercy upon you, pardon and deliver you from all your sins. Confirm and strengthen you in all goodness and bring you to everlasting life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Please rise. The peace of the Lord be always with you. Let's share that peace with one another immediately in our own families and indirectly with others. I invite you to be seated for a few short announcements. Good morning and welcome to Christ Church. My name is Father John Beatty and it is my great joy to worship with all of you this morning. If you are a visitor with us, we'd love to have the chance to meet you. And we have a gift for you as well. Just stop by the visitor booth on your way out and we'd love to share that gift with you. You can read about some of the upcoming events in the life of the church on the inside back cover of your bulletin, but I do wanna point one out and that is our chow program, or you may know it as church, on Wednesday. Now in this season, we are taking our chow program online, so we're calling it church at home, or chow at home. You can participate in chow in two different ways. 
The first is that each Wednesday night, we will be releasing a Bible study video taught by one of our clergy online, and you can watch that from the comfort of your own home and read the discussion questions at the end of that program. Or if you would like to deepen your study, you can join a discussion group. We are forming those discussion groups now. Just go online to ChristChurchPlano.org and sign up, and we will place you in a discussion group that, again, will also meet online. Each week, we like to celebrate with those in our congregation who are having birthdays and wedding anniversaries. So we'll start with birthdays. If you have a birthday today or in the coming week, I'd invite you to stand now. Wherever you are sitting, just stand in place, and we can all together as a church family pray the prayer on page 8. Watch over your children, O Lord, as their days increase. Bless and guide them wherever they may be. Strengthen them when they stand. Comfort them when discouraged or sorrowful. Raise them up if they fall, and in their hearts, May your peace, which passes understanding, abide all the days of their lives. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Happy birthday. You may be seated. Now, if you are celebrating uh, your wedding anniversary, I'd invite you to stand now, again, in place, you and your spouse. Wonderful. And if you want to turn towards each other and hold hands, We'll pray for you. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, bless, preserve, and keep you. Lord, mercifully with his favor, look upon you and fill you with all spiritual benediction and grace that you may faithfully live together in this life in the age to come, have life everlasting. Amen. You may kiss your bride and then put your mask right back up. (laughs) Congratulations. So as we prepare ourselves now for communion, we are continuing to follow our safety precautions during this time of our service. You can read about those precautions on the inside front cover of your bulletin. Two things I would like to remind you is that when you come forward to receive the bread, please do so with your hands flat so that we can put the bread in your hand. And when you receive the cup of wine, please receive it from the bottom of the cup. It will be handed to you from the top. And as always, if you would like to just come forward uh, and not receive communion, we would still love to say a prayer, a blessing for you. So now I invite you to walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a perfect offering and sacrifice to God. Please remain seated while we prepare for communion.
be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right, our duty and our joy, always and everywhere, to give thanks to you, Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who on the first day of the week overcame death and the grave, and by his glorious resurrection opened to us the way of everlasting life. Therefore, we praise you, joining our voices with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven, who forever sing this hymn to proclaim the glory of your name. Gracious Father, in your infinite love, you made us for yourself. And when we had sinned against you and become subject to evil and death, you in your mercy sent your only Son, Jesus Christ, into the world for our salvation. By the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, he became flesh and dwelt among us. In obedience to your will, he stretched out his arms upon the cross and offered himself once for all that by his suffering and death we might be saved. By his resurrection he broke the bonds of death, trampling hell and Satan under his feet. As our great high priest, he ascended to your right hand in glory, that we might come with confidence before the throne of grace. On the night that he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus Christ took bread, and when he given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, after supper, Jesus took the cup. And when he given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink this, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. Therefore we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. We celebrate the memorial of our redemption, O Father, in this sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving, and we offer you these gifts. Sanctify them by your word and Holy Spirit to be for your people, the body and blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. Sanctify us also that we may worthily receive this holy sacrament and be made one body with him, that he may dwell in us and we in him. In the fullness of time, 
put all things in subjection under your Christ and bring us with all your saints into the joy of your heavenly kingdom where we shall see our Lord face to face. All this we ask through your Son, Jesus Christ, by him and with him and in him, in the unity of the Holy Spirit. All honor and glory is yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. Amen. And now, as our Savior Christ has taught us, we are bold to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us for evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Alleluia! Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed once for all upon the cross. Therefore, let us keep the feast. Alleluia! The gifts of God for the people of God. Take them in remembrance that Christ died for you, and feed on him in your hearts by faith, with thanksgiving. Come, beloved, all is ready.
We pray together our prayer after communion. Heavenly Father, we thank you for feeding us with the spiritual food of the most precious body and blood of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, and for assuring us in these holy mysteries that we are living members of the body of your Son and heirs of your eternal kingdom. And now, Father, send us out to do the work you have given us to do, to love and serve you as faithful witnesses of Christ our Lord. To him, to you, and to the Holy Spirit, be honor and glory now and forever. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding guard your hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God and of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, and the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be amongst you and remain with you always. Amen. Let us go out singing together, ye servants of God. into the world rejoicing in the power of the Holy Spirit. Thanks be to God.